Hey guys, welcome back to episode five of As Told By Moms. Super excited to be here today. Thank you so much for everybody who is supporting this podcast and who listened to our last episode about mental health. Um, and my voice was just completely shot. So if you got through that, thank you so much. Thank you for your support. I'm super grateful to be back with episode five. And I just want to jump right in. I want to introduce my guest today. Um, her name is Michaela, and she is here to talk about the perspective of a teacher pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, post-pandemic. There's just so, so much to talk about. So I want her to uh, introduce herself, give us a little bit of information about her, and let's get started. So Michaela, welcome. Hi, guys. I am so excited to be on this podcast. Um, thank you so much for having me. This yes. is going to be super fun. Um, so as she mentioned, um, my name is Michaela Grady, and I have been a teacher for nine years. Um, so I taught for five years in Tennessee and most recently taught for four years in North Carolina. Um, I actually just left my position in teaching to step into a role uh, with the church that we both attend, mm -hmm. um, where I am currently an eKids director, basically just a children's director um, for our children's ministry. And um, I'm just loving that new role and where I'm at with that. And that is, for those who don't either have the context of our church or, or what that looks like, it is a huge, huge, huge responsibility because we see uh, well over 100 kids every weekend. We see weekend. about 160 kids okay. every weekend. Yep. Um, overseeing about 100 volunteers okay. in that role. Um, we have five different areas within our children's ministry, and it's just incredible. It's incredible yeah. um, what's going on with that. Yeah, that's exciting. So she is... Um, you taught, what, which grades did you teach when you were teaching? Was it always the same one or? Uh, no. So um, I have taught, I started out in first grade, okay. um, did first grade for a couple of years, did kindergarten. Um, that was not what my ministry was. <laughs> that was not your calling? <laughs> that was not my calling on my life. Um, kindergarten was, was a doozy. And then mm -hmm. um, most recently I did second grade. I have to say that second grade is hands down my favorite grade that okay. I've taught. Okay. Really fun age. Jackson is going into second grade, so I'm very curious um, to see what this year is going to look like for him. So he was actually, at the start of the pandemic, he was a kindergartner. Mm. So I know you and I had had a conversation um, at like a brunch thing, and that's what kind of sparked me being like, I really want you to come on this podcast and yeah. talk about this stuff because... She has so much information, you guys. I was just like blown away of like the facts and like just all of the different things that come along that as a parent, I'm not seeing because I'm not right. there at school. So I don't know the long-term effects that this is having and the short-term, like all that stuff. So let's talk a little bit about the kindergartners who are now Jackson's age going into second grade mm -hmm. when the pandemic hit they were, this was their first experience for school. And you were teaching right. what grade when the pandemic hit? I was in second grade at that time. Okay, so yeah. you were already teaching second yeah. grade. Okay. Yeah, so it's really crazy how crucial um, those years are in kindergarten for social development, things like that. And the fact that those kiddos that were in that first year of what we're calling the COVID babies, mm -hmm. um, they were the ones who were first affected by that. Mm -hmm. So 
March 2020, when this happened, they had essentially spent a little over a half a year in school. Um, and then they were pulled out and brought into an at-home environment where we know that sitting a child in front of an iPad for several hours to be on Zoom calls, to be expected to do assignments, submit those assignments like that, it just was not... It's what we had to do in the moment, yeah. But it just is not realistic for child development, yeah. Um, so really, they're saying with statistics that we don't really know when we'll really understand the full effect of what the pandemic did mm-hmm. and how that it affected our kids. Um, the biggest things that we are seeing in schools. Um, that I noticed when I was teaching is the social development. Mm. They missed that time. And of course we know that we know, you know, we've heard research about what, what happened with the mask and not being able to read facial cues, things like that. Um, but that social development is the biggest piece because in kindergarten, which is one of the reasons why I had such a hard time teaching kindergarten, you spend a good portion of the year just teaching them how to be a student. Yeah. How to sit in a chair, how to sit at the carpet, yeah. how to sit crisscross applesauce, little things like that, mm-hmm. that parents, um, one small thing that we talked about was like teaching kids how to take off their jacket, how to put on their jacket by themselves. A lot of times parents do that for them. And mm. so little things like that, that we, you spend a long time teaching them all these social cues. Mm-hmm. And then the real learning picks up like March, February, March. So the fact that they were missing some of those social things and they didn't get to complete that year, it really started affecting what it looked like socially, academically, all sorts of things. Yeah. So it was really interesting. So the kids that were pandemic babies, kindergartners, that were with you right before you, because you just finished this school year. Well, you transitioned off a spring little break, bit before, yeah. okay. So around spring break, so you almost had a full a full right. school year right. of kids who have now gotten to second grade. What was the biggest thing that you felt like was um, missing in comparing them to kids who had you know previous years gotten to second grade pre pandemic? What what was the major piece that you felt like was missing in these kids specifically? Um, I would say two things. Um, first of all, we had to learn how to adjust our expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, things that we would expect that, let's say, mid-year second graders should be at this point academically, or we shouldn't be dealing with these same type of behavior issues at this time of the year. We had to step back and reevaluate and realize we weren't still within that same context. We weren't still within the same box. Mm-hmm. We had to redefine what the box looked like now. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things that we were seeing, um, academically, I would say their reading levels were drastically behind, um, teaching kids how to read is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and also teaching them how to read across a screen is really difficult to translate that. Um, when we are teaching kids how to read, uh, one thing that you and I talked about was how many kids rely on seeing your mouth, mm-hmm. seeing your mouth for letter formation, things like that, that they were not able to see. Even when they did come back to school and we were in mask, they weren't able to see those things. And those things don't translate well across the screen. Yeah. So one thing that we saw is that a lot of our students were coming in about mid first grade, beginning first grade level into second grade. Um, so we had a major gap there with that. Then socially, as I was saying, socially it was really hard. I mean, if you think about these kids, these kids that 
should have been playing on ball fields, these kids that should have been participating in outdoor events, that should have been in classrooms with other people and learning how to, how to be with somebody, learning how to problem solve, mm-hmm. learning how to disagree with someone, things like that they were not able to do because we were all at home. Yeah. And they were just within their, their own homes with their families, and they didn't really get that. Um, so the social piece has been crucial trying to bridge that gap. And in a teaching setting, there's so much pressure on bridging the academic gap. It's hard to be able to really do justice with the social and emotional gaps. Yeah, that's huge. And I feel like we talked about this too um, previously. I remember with Jackson's kindergarten teacher and there was a point where he was struggling with Mm -hmm. like reading and understanding and letter recognition and all Mm -hmm. those things. And she would say multiple times a day, like, I wish I could just like hug them because a lot of it is Mm -hmm. like supporting them emotionally during that process, Mm -hmm. you know, of them learning and really saying like, it's not so much when they're young to say like, you have to know what A, B, and C looks like. Mm -hmm. It's more of like, I need to get you to a level of confidence. I need to build all of these other things first before you can even step into this like academic portion. So I can only imagine the kids who are coming now into school and also to like, as a parent, it put a lot of pressure on us to mm-hmm. say, like, okay, I'm here working. We all were remote at that point. Right. I've always been remote, but how do I do my job and my husband do his job and us still fill in that gap of, like, how right. do we work through this frustration with him? How do we get him to a point of feeling confident and feeling good? I'm frustrated. I'm right. not a kindergarten teacher. I'm I'm not, and I told this to you earlier, I love my kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, I'm not one to be around kids and all that stuff. So it was just really hard because um, then as a parent, you felt like you were failing too. Like, yeah. okay, kindergarten teachers specifically and teachers that teach younger grades, like there's just something about them. They have like a natural ability to just like love on these kids. And mm-hmm. I feel like they have a gift. I truly yeah, do. I agree. And I think it's like, as a parent, I felt like, crap, like, I know a teach. I know I'm doing him a disservice because I can't be that teacher. I can't yeah. be like a teacher, you know? So that was, that was hard for parents too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, we definitely felt, we felt the pressure that we were putting on you guys. Um, the first year of the pandemic in 2020, it was funny. We started off where we were only doing in my school district, we were only doing one hour of zoom one time a week. Mm. And then we, um, we of course were checking in on assignments, checking in with parents individually, things like that. But that was the expectation when all of this first started. Yeah. Um, and that felt overwhelming then because we were trying to figure out how do we make this digital? Everything that we do now, all of a sudden we have to make digital. We were all trying to learn how to use zoom. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, we know as teachers that most children at that age have about a seven minute attention span. Mm -hmm. And in a classroom you would know, okay, about every 10 minutes I need to be rotating or doing something different, getting them up for a minute, just doing some sort of a shift in the teaching style. They can't handle that level of lecturing. Mm -hmm. However, we thought that was a stretch for a whole hour that we had to do that. Then when we came back to school and we started off the next school year in the remote setting, we started um, in August in that remote setting, 
we were then doing seven hours a day on Zoom. Gracious. And it was unreal trying to keep their attention. And then we would try to show them how to do things. And, and I know I can't speak for all teachers, but I would try to say like, if you have a question, just come ask me, mm-hmm. come back to the Zoom. You know, we did Zoom waiting hours where we would be available because I didn't want them to have to go ask mom and dad yeah. like yeah. how to do this, how to do that. We tried to make everything as simple as we could where that it was just me and the students working through things because I knew that I had parents that were working at home, parents mm-hmm. that were at home with two-year-olds, and and that was a lot for you guys to handle. So it was it was a lot of weight feeling like we were not only trying to learn how to do this new, this Sorry. new way of learning, this new way of teaching, but also the pressure that we knew we were putting on you too. Yeah, yeah, which is, it was, it, it was less, I felt less pressure from the teacher and more just like, almost like a self-reflection moment where it's just like, oh my gosh, like I am this poor kid. Like I literally just felt bad for him because mm. it was just like, we could only do so much and we could right. only help him so much. And it was like, everybody was frustrated. Mm-hmm. Jackson was frustrated. We were frustrated. And it was just like, we just didn't know what to do. And I didn't, I, I, you could see every time we logged in, like the teacher's face was just like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, like you almost <laughs> so like, sorry we're making you do this. So but sorry I need to take attendance. Exactly. But it was just like, you know, you just see that everybody is just like a mm-hmm. it was like a pressure cooker of like yeah. everybody's frustrated and everybody's about to lose it and it's just gonna be like a disaster <laughs> with kids and parents and people, you know. It was funny because when when it happened, you just started to see like kind of where everybody was at. It was like kids were unmuted, parents were screaming in the oh, background, yes. and it was just like <laughs> all this like craziness of, I don't know, it was just oh, yes. very I messy. Could, I could tell some stories of some things that I have seen um, through <laughs> through Zoom calls, some things that I have heard. I would frequently send out emails that would say, um, just a reminder, <laughs> when your child comes off of mute, we can hear everything that's happening at home. In your house. Oh my um, God. So it, it was stressful. And then, you know, it, we went through that time period of having um, people that were like, breaking into the Zoom calls and oh, and yeah. like inappropriate things that were happening. I never personally had that happen, um, but I know that did happen in our district. And Gosh. and that was scary, you know, to worry about like these crazy people that were jumping in on these Zoom calls with your kids. So just a lot of pressure cooker. That's I love yeah. how you how you term that. That's exactly what it felt like. It felt like a daily pressure cooker of all of these expectations that we were trying to keep up with that just didn't feel realistic for the time. Yeah. Um, So when kids were able to go back to school, were you still doing half remote learning for half your class or were you like full in person? Because I remember Jackson's class, like we literally had to change teachers because we wanted him to go back. Like the moment they were like, kids can come back. I was like, sign him up, take him, take him back. Because I knew that it was just not working out for us. I, I remember vividly a day that I told Daniel, I was like, I don't like him. I don't like this child <laughs> because it's just like, it's, it was just hard. Yeah. It was just hard. And so we, we sent him back to school immediately as soon as they opened up the doors. And so what did that look like for you as a teacher with did you have a mixed class? Was your, oh, what did gosh. that look like? I will say, I think that was probably the worst mm. part of teaching during the pandemic was when we started to tra- transition back. To in-person? Um, to in-person. Okay. 
So the way that my district did it, we had um, A days and B days. Okay. Um, so like on Monday, that was the A group of kids. On um, Monday and Tuesday, the A group of kids would come. Okay. Everyone was remote on Wednesday. And then the B group of kids would come Thursday, Thursday and Friday. Oh, okay. So on those days, I only had like nine or ten kids in my class. However, I not only had to um, teach the kids in my class – I also had to have Zoom pulled up, and I was teaching the kids who were at home plus teaching the kids in my class at the same time. Okay. Um, it was very, very interesting. Yeah. Learning how to, okay, um, as a teacher, you're all over the place. Like, it was nothing for me to hit 10,000 steps by 3 o'clock. Yeah. Like, you're oh walking gosh. around, like, moving around all, you know, all day long, and all of a sudden, I needed to be in front of my camera so that my kids at home could see everything that I was doing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would be up teaching a lesson, and then somebody's bleeding in the back, and I had to go and find a Band-Aid. Oh and, like, God. you know, like, it was really hard being stretched both ways. Um, and so that was a really difficult time when it was like, did I already teach you this? Or did I teach the B kids this? <laughs> did I teach the A kids this? It was hard keeping track of who had done what. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we only did that for a few months. And then we offered what you're talking about. Okay. Um, our, our kiddos could cheat or the parents could choose if they wanted to stay remote or send their kids completely back. Okay. Um, because I think they realized it was very stressful doing teaching online and teaching in person at the same time. Yeah. It was really, really hard to keep up with. Um, so then we had the option of we had one person per team that was the remote teacher. Okay. She would stay at home and just teach those kids remotely. And then um, all of the rest of the kids came on back to the classroom. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that was – ooh. That was a rough <laughs> period. What? Um, so, okay. So then talk me through like what that shift looked like for the kids. So as parents, we knew, um, I'm going to be honest, we felt a relief mm-hmm. at that point because we were like, thank the Lord. These kids are back in, you know, in person. Yeah. Obviously with like, always with the fear in a sense. Well, I use the word fear. I didn't have fear, but I, I know parents that were like, legitimately afraid to send their kids to school. Um, you know, just because yeah, kids get sick, kids are nasty. It was a scary There's time. There's always like germs. Like even before COVID was a thing, like you always know they're going to get a stomach bug. Mm-hmm. They're going to get a virus. Right. They're going to catch something because that's just how kids are. Um, but like when, so parents, we got a relief. We got to send them back to school. Kids, I think, were excited Mm -hmm. for that, too, because it was like you're seeing your friends on a computer, and now it's like they crave routine as much as, like, anybody else. Absolutely. So I think that that was great for them. Now, what did that look like with, like, socially, emotionally? Like, Mm -hmm. was that, like, a crazy time for for teachers? It really was. Um, So any teacher would tell you that it takes – probably a good month in the beginning of a school year just to establish routines, to establish classroom rules, um, just to get to know each other and to build that level of trust with them. And so even though we had already, um, I think we started, we tried to transition back to full in class in November 
we were only there for two weeks and they slammed us right back into full remote mm-hmm. um, due to the COVID numbers. And then we came back, I believe it was in February. So we had already spent a good portion of the year together as a class. Yeah. However, when they came back, it was almost as if starting all over again in August because they did not know all of the classroom roles. They hadn't been in a classroom really in two years. Um, so we had to basically start all over. Also, they didn't recognize each other. Um, think about it. Like they had been seeing each other on a screen and they knew what their faces looked like, but then they came back and everybody had on mask. So you, they had never True. seen each other in mask. Okay. So they had to relearn each other. Um, so it was an interesting, we had to spend about a month just teaching them almost as if it was like the first the first month of school. That's so interesting. I did not even think about that for them mm-hmm. to like even recognize one another. Like it was hard for me and I felt terrible. Like when kids would come down the hall and they'd be like, hi, Miss Grady. And I, <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. You're mine. Oh yeah. 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 You're, oh my you're my kid. Because yeah. I didn't recognize them in a mask. I had never seen them in a mask. Yeah. Um, that group that I, the first time they met me was in February in person. It was crazy. And then it was sad because, you know, kids wanted to give hugs and, yeah. you know, kids love to hug their teachers and we were not allowed to do that. And it just, it was an awkward time of, I know you, but do I know you? This yeah. is weird. Let me get to know you. We still have three months together. Um, it, it was an interesting transition. What, um, what do you feel like, what did parents do well? And what was something that was just like, maybe we thought we were doing a good <laughs> job with it. And it was just like, mm, no, probably shouldn't have done that. Like, talk me through like a few examples of that. Like, what was something that you could see that parents were like, okay, I had parents that did this and this was helpful. Yeah. And then I had some that did this and it was like, didn't make any sense. <laughs> Um, I will say a couple of things. Um, I'll, I'll start with, I hate to say the negative, but I want to end on a happy note. Perfect. (laughs) Um, I will say some of the things that were really interesting is when we did get back, um, and you know, we started testing to see where they at, like, let's see what the full effect of this is. Um, we started seeing some discrepancies between Hmm. scores that we had seen, um, work that we had seen online. Um, it was funny, you know, sometimes I would have, I would have work that was submitted and I would ask the kid to read it back to me and the kid couldn't even read the sentence. (laughs) And I was like, okay, if you can't read the sentence, you probably didn't write the sentence. So although it was great that we had parents that wanted to help, Mm -hmm. I feel like, and a lot of times in the classroom, much of great learning comes from a lot of failure, yeah. letting them fail and giving them permission to realize it's okay to get things wrong. Yeah. That's where those deeper neurological pathways come from. Um, and so I think that there was a lot of assistance from parents at home. And then when we got in the classroom, we were like, oh, no, yeah. no, 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 no. You might have made a 99 on that at home, but here, like, no, yeah. I'm seeing the difference here. And I think that parents thought that they were helping, but really that was doing a disservice to the child. I think I remember that with like Jackson too, because he would be like, 
mom, but you can help me or I can just ask right. you. And I'm like, no, you have to pretend like, pretend I'm not here. Cause he right. was in my office with me because obviously I needed to hear if the teacher was like, take a break or, you know, For sure, yeah. go get your book or whatever it is. And I, he would lean on it. Like, well, mom, I need help. And I'm like, no, like just pretend mm. like I'm not pretend like you're in your class yeah. and I'm not here. But then that is also like the flip side of that is like, well, if I was in my class, my teacher would be here. Right. And she would help me, she you would know? Help. So yeah. it was like, crap, I don't know what to she, do. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just, a, it's an awkward time and it, it yeah, it was weird. Um, one thing that I think that parents did really, really well is I think that this was the first time that parents really started appreciating teachers. hundred percent. I think it was the first time that parents realized that we're not glorified babysitters. Yeah. Um, because there's so much more that comes to it. I mean, there really is a science to teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that it was the first time that I really started feeling appreciated. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that I didn't. Ha I had great parents, and I've had great, um, great times with my parents in, in my years. But it was a time for the first time that somebody looked at me and was like, wow. Yeah. I had no idea how much you do. Yeah. I had no idea how important this is and how hard this is. Yeah. Um, so that made me feel good. Anybody that feels seen or recognized, it makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, so, and I think just giving the grace, mm -hmm. the parents really gave a lot of grace with, you know, I, sometimes I would send out things, you know, I would send out Google links and the links didn't have share settings that I would have to, they gave me grace for the learning curve that I was also going through. For sure. Um, so they were great with just giving grace in a time where we were all just trying to figure it out. Yeah, for sure. Man, that's so funny. Like, I just keep thinking back and I'm like, oh my God, that was so hard. And I literally have always, I've always been the type of parent that's like, I want to celebrate teachers because number one, I don't think they get paid enough. Amen. Number two, like, <laughs> I just think it's like, it's freaking hard. And it if is, I'm not yeah. going to, like, I don't have the patience and energy to teach my own child who I love and I care for. I can't imagine doing that times, however many kids, 20, 24, yeah. 20, you know, like, it's just crazy to me, but I truly feel like teacher being a teacher is a gifting and a calling. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that like there's some teachers that you're like, dude, why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> you, just pick another career. I don't yeah. care if you went to school for this and spent all your time and money. Like, pick another career. This right. is just not your thing. But I also feel and I've experienced teachers that I'm like man, like you are so made for mm. this. Like this is exactly what you should be doing with your yeah. life. And it's just that appreciation grew even more during the pandemic because I'm like, this is as hard for them. And I know it was heartbreaking for teachers too to see like their kids struggling so hard. Yeah. And also like there's a there's a level of like connection that I feel like is, is made in a classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, when you are... <clears throat> excuse me, when you are celebrating with a student and they hit a milestone and right. when they see a success and when they actually get to that next level, you know, like there's a, there's a, a bonding that happens For sure, yeah. and that doesn't happen through a computer screen. So no. I feel like that's, you know, like you miss that whole physical aspect of it. And I don't know, I just, I have the utmost respect for teachers <laughs> pre-pandemic, during the pandemic and post pandemic cuz it's just been it's just been crazy and it's been a hard time for yeah. those who have chosen that career it has it really has and and sadly and in my district alone um in within this past year we have had almost 
a thousand teachers leave the profession. It is sobering to think about how many, uh, and they're calling it a mass exodus of teachers um, because there's so much pressure that comes from the state level Mm -hmm. that comes down to the district level and then the district passes on. Um, Thankfully, shout out to Penny Beth. She was my principal. Um, She did such a great job of shielding us from that as much as we, as much as she could um, because it took a long time for the state level to realize and, and district. And I think they're still trying to figure it out. Like, mm-hmm. like I said earlier, we can't assume the same expectations. We can't pretend that this is a normal school year and that kids are going to meet those milestone milestones mm-hmm. like they would have in a normal year yeah. because we're still feeling the effects and we have no idea how long we'll still be feeling those effects. Yeah. It's probably going to follow them for a very long time. Well, and that's, if you're thinking about it, like kids like Jackson who started kindergarten in the pandemic, they're going to be behind the eight ball for X amount of years, right. so many years that it's like, I mean, what do you think professionally? Like if you had to put a guesstimate on it, do you think it's going to be five years, six years, seven years? Is it going to be behind till it graduates? <laughs> Like, what do you, what do you think, what do you think that is going to look like for them? I think a lot of it comes down to, um, not only their environment that they have at home. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot that parents can do to bridge that gap to help out with that. But also if you look at like what research says about the summer slide, you know, kids Mm -hmm. that go through the summer slide, um, if they are not doing any sort of reading, any sort of activity, and we're not talking about like full-blown workbooks every day in the yeah. summer. Like, your kids should enjoy summer. Yeah. Um, but daily reading. Read every day for 30 minutes, even in the summer. It really, mm-hmm. really matters. Um, there's that potential of the summer slide that we talk about as teachers where if they are not keeping up with some sort of a reading program or something like that in the summer, that they could start the school year a good three to four, mo- three to four months behind. So that's looking at two months of a summer slide. Mm. Now let's look back at this. And this was a year and a half. Yeah. Um, So I, I'm hesitant to like give an actual number to what I think it could be, because again, I think it depends on like how much is the family involved? How much are, are you reading and working with your kids? Because the teachers are doing their best to try to catch them up as best as they can. But ideally I can't even, I I can't even like articulate what the day looks like inside of a classroom. Every minute is accounted for. Yeah. And you have to be so sure. I mean, literally like when I was teaching, you had to have a 60 minute block of math every day. You had to have a 90 minute block of reading and you have to hit those state mandates of blocks of time. So I can't spend a whole lot of extra time trying to make up the gap. Mm. So I think if parents can help bridge that gap a little bit just by simply reading, like you'd be blown away what just reading with your kid for 30 minutes every night, how that changes their academics. Yeah. It's unreal. Yeah. That's something that we are going to be focusing on with Jackson this year for this summer because I I know how hard his teacher worked and how hard Mm -hmm. he worked this past year. That I'm just like, I do not want to lose lose all that that work that they put in. So that's going to be our plan Um, once we can kind of get settled. This is like the first few days of school actually being out. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and she was saying that she's giving her kids 10 days. I love that. 10 days post-school. 
and just live it up, have a great time. And then after it's that, genius. it's going to start back like little by little. Let's do a worksheet. Let's do a reading page. Um, her kids love to read, I think anyway, but um, just keeping that, but having a set time for like, we're just going to have fun for these next few days. Cause I mean, the kids are tired too. They're burnt out. They're ready for, for sure, school to be yeah. over. Um, but I want to talk just a few minutes, um, about how parents can support. And I want you to really speak into that because I feel like as parents, we don't know what goes on in the classroom. We don't know what you guys as teachers have to really deal with in the sense of not just students and behaviors and parents and teaching, but also just like the logistics of being in a classroom. And I know I shared this with you earlier today about just like the experience that we get as parents when I hear like our teacher asking for like money for the copier, like what? Like why is my kid's first grade teacher asking me or asking our class? And I'm sure for her, like that's like a, she doesn't want to do that either, you know, but to feel like you have to ask parents to donate copies because Mm -hmm. They only get X amount of, yeah, Yeah. you only get X amount of copies per month or whatever. And it's like, okay, we have these expectations on teachers. We have them on students. They have to hit milestones. They have to hit test scores. And we're not even giving them money for copies. Like it's, that's a whole nother topic and situation. <laughs> we we'll talk, talk about, about that offline. We'll do another podcast <laughs> about budgeting. And literally, literally. <laughs> so it's just like that kind of stuff just burns me up because I was just like, whatever, it's just so dumb. But it's also so real because mm-hmm. I know as teachers, you guys do have to deal with that or right. you did have to deal with that. Um, but just kind of talk through like what are some ways that parents – can help support their teachers and their classrooms. Um, and I, cause I really feel like that's helpful for people. Yeah. And I feel like parents genuinely, if they knew they would want to help and they would want to do something. Cause at the end of the day, it's for your kid. Like yeah. that's how I look at it. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I just have a couple of things. Um, like I was already mentioning the reading thing, mm-hmm. please, please, please be reading with your kids. But one particular thing um, that we talk about a lot in school is building reading stamina. Mm. Um, so the way that you would do that is maybe set, set, sit Jackson down and say, okay, today you're going to read for 12 minutes. That's mm. great. You read for 12 minutes. You were able to stay attentive with that. You were able to do that. Um, okay, tomorrow let's read for 13 minutes. Okay. And building up that reading stamina. So um, in second grade the expectation is that hopefully they could sit and read for about 25 to 30 minutes. You wouldn't believe how hard that is to get them to read independently on their own for 25 to 30 minutes. And the reason why we do that is because in kindergarten, first and second grade, you're learning to read. When you hit third grade, you are reading to learn. So Mm. there's a flip there. If they don't get what they need in that foundational, in those foundational years of learning how to read, then they're going to have a hard time learning the other content areas mm. because then math, think about it, like math, you start getting word problems when yeah. you get in third grade, fourth grade, um, social studies, like mm-hmm. science, things like that. Um, so it, that reading piece is really, really important and learning how to build that stamina um, because these kids are not used to sitting in a classroom and they, they're just now getting used to that and what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, this sounds like a small thing, but building their reading stamina, there are a few really great resources. Um, epic.com 
Uh, I believe it's getepic.com. It's okay. a great resource that has leveled readers, a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, it's a free resource that parents can check into. Um, Teacher Monster to Read is more geared toward like the younger kiddos. Yeah. I would say pre-K, kindergarten, first grade. It's a really fun like interactive game um, thing that that's great with that. And I'm going to post all these resources in case you're like driving or something and you're like, oh my God, I can't write this down. I'm going to post everything on our Facebook page. Um, I'll probably put something together for Instagram as well that will just have like a list of everything. Um, so don't worry about writing it down right now. Don't you can write go back to driving. it. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, you can go back to it and we'll, we'll have it all posted for you guys too. But I just wanted her to share. Um, okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just want to make sure everybody knew. That's great. Um, so, so that's a big piece. And then, um, something that you and I talked about earlier was really diving into that social and emotional development. Mm -hmm. Um, so those are a lot of things that maybe parents don't realize that we do. I will say one thing that my district did really well is we had a morning meeting. We were required to do a morning meeting every day at the beginning of the day for 30 minutes where we talked, um, we basically did an SEL, social emotional learning. Um, we did an SEL themed lesson where we were teaching them how to problem solve, how to disagree with each other, how to identify their feelings, things like mm. that. And I know that feels like very Dr. Phil, mm. um, but it's hard to learn if there's a lot of behavior issues happening. Yeah. And if you're constantly putting out behavior fires all day long, yeah. it's hard to get anything in academic. Mm -hmm. um, so a couple of things is like socializing those younger children. Um, put them on sports teams. Take them to the library to be a part of like these yeah. summer reading programs. There's lots of great libraries that offer things like that. Um, get them socialized and around other people because there's a lot of learning that's happening in those moments. Mm -hmm. um, one of my very favorite things, my mom is a marriage and family therapist. And um, a couple years ago when the movie Inside Out came out, have you seen oh, that yeah, movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. With it the is, feelings and yes, all that, yeah. It is such a great resource. And my school was actually just starting this before I left this year, um, where we were kind of utilizing the the different characters. On yeah. It, like the little red angry guy. Yeah, and, yeah. And blue. I think her name was like Joy. Um, and, she was so uh, sad. Oh, no. No, the no. blue one was sad. The blue one was sad. I don't remember her Joy name. Joy was green, I think. Green or yellow, one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so we were setting up this thing where we were calling these zones. Okay. Um, so a lot of times kids have a hard time identifying what they're feeling, mm. but almost always the underlying is fear, whatever mm. the, it is, the underlying emotion is fear. And so Same. it was really cool. This thing that we were doing, we basically, and you could get, we'll post this, um, on one of the resources as well. It's a super cute, like little chart that has each of their faces okay. because most everyone has seen that movie. It's kid friendly. Yeah. It's easy for them to understand. And so what we were doing is if a kid was having a hard day, maybe they're feeling sad or if they're feeling angry or upset. And I would say to them, what zone are you in right now? Mm -hmm. It helps me to understand what's going on with you. Yeah. If you can just identify what zone you're in. And so then I would have kids that would say, I'm in the yellow zone. 
if they're in the yellow zone, then maybe they're feeling a little bit anxious or nervous. Yeah. If they were in the blue zone, then they were feeling um, sad. If they're in the red zone, then they're mad. They're upset yeah. about something. Yeah. And so that was something that we were starting to use to help identify their emotions. So when mm-hmm. they're acting out, they're losing their mind. Yeah. Don't ask them like right in the moment. Give yeah. Them, give them a second. You know. Yeah. Um, but then help give them that verbiage for, okay, you're in the blue zone. Oh, you're feeling sad. Mm -hmm. Can you explain to me why you're feeling sad? Like helping them to be able to identify where they're at socially is huge. Yeah. That's so helpful. Yeah. And so that like, those are things that they missed out on that they could have been learning when Mm -hmm. they were in kindergarten and first grade. Um, a lot of schools have a program called second steps that okay. teaches them how to manage their emotions, things like that. And these are just very small things that parents could do at home. Um, another thing is like we talked about supporting teachers financially through snacks. Like yeah. I know um, I had a great group of parents this year that was really great about sending in snacks, but snacks is not on the budget. And almost always you have three or four kids that don't have snacks. For sure. I can't tell you how many times I've reached into my lunchbox and given out my own snack or given out my own lunch because it breaks my heart to see somebody without a snack. Um, things come up all throughout the year. Water bottles. Yeah. Water bottles became huge during the pandemic because they were no longer allowed to use the water fountains. Yes, which was so crazy because I remember like, I think a few times Jackson would like either his water bottle fell out in the car or it was forgotten or something. And his teacher would like send an email and she was like, is there any way that you can bring it? Because she was like, I literally cannot like have these kids with no water, you know, because they have no water. Also, the kids were not allowed to leave the classroom. Um, They were not allowed to leave the classroom to go out for a long time. Now, we broke away from that, but because we were trying to limit how much walking around they were doing Mm -hmm. because – that's when we thought that like COVID existed on the walls and, yeah. and uh, on surfaces yeah. and, and, and all other places. Um, but that's a real serious thing. This is kind of a funny thing, but I can tell you, um, this is like a parenting hack. Oh gosh. <laughs> your teacher, your kids' teachers would adore you if you did this. Hey, okay. let's write it down, I, guys. I'm telling you, I'm speaking <laughs> for all teachers. This is the one thing I will speak for all teachers. The metal water bottles that are like okay. the Yeti style. Uh-huh. Stop sending them to school. Really? Stop. <laughs> really? Please. Why? Why? I don't because think we have any. Of the, I just got Levi one, and he hasn't gone anywhere with it. Like, okay. not to school. He's not in school. But I never, I don't think Jackson had one. When but these why? drop mm. in, in the classroom or in the hallway, it makes the loudest, terrifying. Hey. It interrupts everything. It, it If they knock it over, if it's sitting in the floor and their foot hits it and they knock it over... It is so loud. I promise you, all teachers of America would say they hate the metal water bottles. (laughs) Something so simple that you just think like, oh, my kid's water's going to stay hot or cold for like 12 hours. Yeah, you're like, it's a great water bottle. It's it's so lovely. But no, just go back to the plastic. Okay. Just go back to the plastic. We're going to be happy with that. We're going to be so happy with that. Okay. That's a good hack. It's it's a small hack, but I'm telling you, there's nothing like walking down the hall and you're like trying to keep everybody quiet. Teachers have their doors open. You know, it's already kind of like herding cats anyways. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you hear this massive bang. Oh my gosh. And you're like, what what happened? (laughs) Like, what happened in here? And then you realize it's just a water bottle. That is 
funny. Um, yeah, so uh, that's that's just a small thing. And then the last thing I would say is just your general overall support of the mm-hmm. teacher. Yeah. Um, I would say kids really pick up on the parents' feelings towards the teacher. Mm. Kids pick up on that. Yeah. And then they bring that into the classroom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, be supportive of your teacher and let your kids hear you being supportive of yeah. your child's teacher. Yeah. Um, I think that's really, really important right now. Um, it's, it's really hard trying to manage a classroom. I will say I, I think one of the hardest things is you're not only managing the academics, you're not only ma- managing behaviors, you're also trying to combine 20 different parenting styles mm, that, yes. oh, well, this family parents this way and this family parents that way. And that's great. Like, yeah. that's great. I'm not saying that everyone should parent the same way. Not at all. I love the uniqueness that comes with that. But that that's also really, really hard mm. to, okay, well, in this classroom, these are the rules that we have to go by. Yeah. These are the rules that our school goes by. Um, so that that's really hard. Like, if you can just support the teacher from a family standpoint of, Hey, we're here for you. We believe in you. We support you. We're grateful for what you do. That translates then to the child. And then the child just has a different level of respect for you. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I feel like so far Jackson has been blessed with amazing teachers that I feel like are literally called to teach. Yeah. Um, I was so sad that his last teacher that he just had is moving to a different school district. Um, so he won't have her like not even like in his school. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things where like you, I think what you said is perfect. Like if the kid hears you championing his teacher and talking good about his teacher, he's going to go into that with like, and also too, like they trust us. So Mm -hmm. if, if mommy tells you that this person is is a a good good person and that this person is great and that this person you're, you can be safe with like things like that. Um, I feel like teaching is, is funny because you don't realize outside of the academic aspect and the emotional aspect, like you are shaping kids Mm -hmm. for who they're going to be essentially like responsibility. Yeah. Outside of like the kid being with me the most, this is the next person that they're with the most in their life is right. their teacher. So um, I, you see it so many times, people who get older and whether it's a celebrity or even like regular people, if you talk to them and you say, do you have one teacher in your life that has impacted mm-hmm. you or changed your life or did something for you that you will never forget? Most most people have that, and yeah. they can tell you the name of the teacher, what school they were in, right. what grade they were in, and they can tell you all the ways that you know that they were impacted. So right. it's not something that you think, oh, okay, well they're just teaching them reading and math and writing and all that stuff. Like they really are shaping For sure. who our children are going to be. Essentially, outside of like you know, obviously we still have to parent our kids and right. we still yeah. instill things in them, but. I and mean, I could almost guarantee that every single one of those stories, most of them, it's not what that teacher taught you in the classroom. For sure. It's probably not the way they taught you multiplication. It's yep. probably not the way they taught you how to sound out long A and short A. Yep. It's the way they made you feel. Absolutely. Um, my, I was telling you earlier about my second grade teacher. Um, shout out to Jennifer Stevens. There you go. Incredible. Um, she... I remembered every day when I walked up to the classroom, she was standing outside of the classroom and she would give me just this 
big bear hug and she was genuinely so excited to see me yeah and it made me feel like I was the most important kid in that classroom yeah. she probably did the same thing with every other kid yeah. but that's that's what yeah. I remember the most mm-hmm. is the way that she made me feel yeah and it had nothing to do with honestly I don't remember anything that happened in her classroom yeah I remember the way she made me feel when she greeted me every day yep. and teachers have that heavy weight of like you said like it's not just what what we do academically. It's what we're pouring into them as, you know what? We want these guys to be productive citizens one mm-hmm. day. Like we want them just to be good people. Yeah. Um we want them to contribute to society and and it's really really cool that teachers get to have that impact um for the rest of their life. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you feel like do you feel like when I don't know, one of your students in the next 10 or 15 years is going to say like oh my gosh, I had the best teacher in second grade. Miss Grady was literally the best teacher I ever had. Do you feel like you've made that impact with like your students that you now, because you're not teaching, right. but the ones that you did have, you know, you can definitely see that you've had that impact, do you feel like? For, I, I feel like that's a trick question. Like, yes, what? like I, I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, not at all. No. But I, every single year I've had the privilege of, of course, I connect with all of my students. And I will say that that was something that was really important to me is just having a relationship with them. Like we just had fun dialogue all day long. Like I never was that teacher that would just be like, sit down, be quiet. I'm lecturing today. Like we just had fun dialogue all day long. And I think that's one thing that, that I was able to do well in the classroom that I just enjoyed talking to them. Yeah. Um, and so every year I have had, I could list those kids. I would definitely won't do that for privacy reasons. Yeah, yeah. But um, I have in my mind probably every year that I've taught a specific kid yeah. that I feel like I made a life change in. Yeah. Um, and it is incredibly rewarding to go back and to hear those stories mm-hmm. and to hear those kids and to know that I've played a small part in maybe changing their life. Yeah. Um, maybe giving them a new perspective on school, kids that hated school. And then we were able to figure out what was, what was going on at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I would hope, yeah. I would hope that one day I, you know, I get invited to somebody's wedding or get invited yeah. to a graduation. Um, I would hope that I have that experience one day. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And that's not, that's not to brag. I mean, I think that's like, again, like you are putting in so much effort and so much work into, you know, just like, I don't know, pouring into these kids. So like, it's definitely not, it's not a bragging aspect at all. It's definitely more of like a pride. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I worked hard at my job. I did a good job. I, you know, I was able to like impact these kids and change their lives. I think that's amazing. Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) I want to, I want to go ahead and wrap up. Uh, I think this has been incredibly, incredibly helpful um, for me as a parent of kids who, you know, are in school and even not yet in school. So I definitely want to take what I learned today and be able to just like apply that for next school year. And even during this summer, it's like, man, I'm so happy school's out. But then it's also like there's still work <laughs> there's to be still done. There's still work to be done, yeah. So um, thank you for taking the time and for coming and sharing yeah, your experience. You and, you know, I definitely think if anybody has questions or needs resources or just wants more information about anything, like please don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook or Instagram um, and we can get you whatever resources sure, yeah. we can. Um, I will have everything posted that Michaela talked about um, that are good, 
resources to have for kids for summer and all of that stuff. And um, I don't know, what's something you want to leave us with? Just like a nugget of wisdom. And it doesn't have to be like in the teaching perspective, or it could be, it could be like as a teacher, like what is something that either you want to leave with parents or with students if they're listening or anything? Um, I, I know that this is still academic related, but I also think it, it really speaks to relationally. Um, when I was telling you about like how important it, it is to read every day, I think that as kids get older, Sometimes what I've heard, and I'm not going to pretend because I'm not a parent, but some things that I have heard other parents say or other kids say is like, yeah, I go off to my room and I read my chapter book. Or when kids start to read on their own, I would really, really encourage you to not just send them away for their mm. reading time. Sit with them mm-hmm. and you read to them too. Yeah. Just because your child is already reading, it is unreal the connections that are made when yeah. you're reading with each other, like set aside that they're hearing you modeling what good reading sounds like. There's a really special connection that happens. Mm. Um, we always joke and say in the classroom that a lap is better than an app. Mm. Um, That's the, good. Yeah. That's good. Sit I like them, that. Sit them in your lap. You read a page, them read a page. You read yeah. a page. It's a nice like bonding time. Yeah, with for parents. sure. And, and again, I'm not a parent. I'm not going to pretend to be a parent, but I know that there's something really special that happens when parents take that time. And I can't imagine how busy your afternoons are and what that looks like when you're trying to do sports and bath time and dinner and all the things and homework. But even if you just cut that down to 15 minutes, I would rather you cut it down to 15 minutes and be present with them in those 15 minutes than to say, go read for 30 minutes by yourself. Yeah. Of course they're, you know, when they're like in fourth and fifth grade, but Also, I've even heard stories of kids, you know, like families that the mom reads Harry Potter to the kids every night and the kids in fifth grade. Like, I love that. You know, like even though they're reading, you know, chapter books and things like that, still be present with them in the moment. That's great that they are reading. um, But a lap is always better than an app. Mm, That's good. I like that. I love it. That's perfect. Um, Thank you again. Thank you for taking the time out to talk about this. I feel like it's super important. Uh, just to bring awareness, because again, parents are not there. We're not in the classroom. We're not in your shoes. Um, so I think this is really helpful for people to really have a different, a different look at it. So thank you for that. Um, but that's it guys. I appreciate everyone who, uh, has taken the time to listen to this today. Again, I will have the resources posted on our Facebook page, on our Instagram, And yeah, just keep following along on this journey. We're super excited to uh, continue. We are halfway through, this is episode five. So we're halfway through season one and I cannot believe it already. (laughs) Um, It's going to be 10 episodes this season and this is the halfway mark. So thank you. And um, thank you. Appreciate that. (laughs) And you can find us on Google podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify and Amazon music. So take care guys. Thank you again uh, for tuning in.